You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, I remember heading up to a friend's place and we were about to go and pull into their driveway. And you know, in those suburban neighborhoods, as you do, there's a stack of kids playing out there on the driveway. And uh, up there on the letterbox was this little guy, about three or four, in a, in a Spider-Man outfit. And he's jumping off the letterbox. And I got out of the car and, um, and I turned to Kristen and I said, look, Kristen, it's Spider-Man. At which point he got his shirt and he lifted it above his head and he goes, nah, that's me, Jacob. <laughs> and I thought, this kid gets a Christian life. Uh, because what we've been learning for the past six weeks is that we have two identities. Uh, Paul says that our Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven, and yet we live uh, this earthly life. In some sense, um, God tells us that we are Spider-Man, but on the other side of it, underneath, we're just Jacob. And that brings a real tension for us, guys, doesn't it? Uh, It gives us a real tension when we're trying to live out that identity, because, well, which way is it? Am I the Spider-Man or the ordinary person? Do I live the godly life or the earthly life? Uh, Do I go to the party? Do I not go to the party? Do I hang out with the uni mates? Do I not hang out with the uni mates? That's been the question we've been asking for the past six weeks. And part of that identity that I want us to grasp and wear uh, when we leave this series tonight is that we're not Spider-Men and women, uh, but we are expats for the kingdom of God. Dual citizenship, citizens of heaven and citizens here on earth. And so in the midst of that tension, we've been asking, seeking to answer the question, how do we live a life of faith in a predominantly unbelieving world? It's a tough life as a Christian. And we've been tracking through the book of Daniel, looking at his example as to how we do that. And tonight we come to one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. This is pervaded culture right from artistic works in the Louvre through to Katy Perry's latest song on iTunes. Uh, it's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Look at, look at everyone starting to look up iTunes and download Katy Perry. I'll let you find that this week. We're going to look at the story of Daniel in the den of the lions from verse uh, chapter 6 of Daniel. Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through to 16. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it's got something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned 
that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except you, O you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. It's uh, the famous story. We know that uh, as Daniel goes down into the lion's den, that the king uh, eagerly awaits the response the next morning to see what has happened to Daniel. And he sees that Daniel is spared. And yet another example of the way that God moves in a miraculous way in this book of Daniel. And so what we've been looking at specifically in this series, that is in what ways did Daniel live out the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7. You see in the first week of this series, we didn't even read from the book of Daniel. Uh, because really we're looking at the broader structure of what was happening here. And, and as these uh, Jewish people were exiled in this foreign land and uh, the arts and the government and the education and every part of their society no longer was a God-driven society, uh, they were left with the choice, should we uh, stay out to ourselves or should we become part of this foreign city? And when they made that decision to stay and not be part of it, Je- Jeremiah the prophet heard this and he said, that's ridiculous And he prophesies and he speaks on behalf of the Lord. And he says, also seek the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so tonight, what I want to do is just four application points to to really summarize the ways in which Daniel lived out this prophecy. And so the first thing that Daniel did, and the first thing that we can do as expats faith expats in foreign land first and foremost is to seek the prosperity and the peace of the city now does the um, term wife swap mean anything to you guys if it does we need to have a little bit of a come to jesus talk um no it's a tv show it's a tv show that's uh Uh, that's on one of those Foxtel channels or something. And so um, pretty much the premise is this, is that they take two different wives and they they swap them around. And these wives are to go into a a, a different family and uh, pretty much institute their rules and their way of life into this different family. And often in these families, they are worlds apart. Often some are very upright type families and other families are just uptight type families and they're pretty crazy. And I remember one particular episode which I know Michael Thomas watched over and over and over and over again, <laughs> is about this particular lady, and she was a believer, and, um, and she came home from her wife swap, and she loses it. And because she was a Christian, and she went to stay in a non-Christian house, and she, and she absolutely loses it. And the kids say to her, Mom, what is wrong? What is wrong? And she screams, They're not Christian! 
and and she goes absolutely ballistic in 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 the in the in the, the lounge room there, and she's she's hitting the cameramen and the sound people and that sort of stuff. And he's and she's saying, if if you're from the darkness, you can get out of my house. But if you if you believe in Jesus, you can stay in my house like this. If you believe in Jesus, you can stay in my house. Loses it. Just look up God Warrior on YouTube. You'll see it. <laughs> I'll speak to Michael Thomas after the service. <laughs> hey, uh, sadly, her approach can be the approach of many churches around the world. You know, any of you from the darkness, you get out of my house. And if you believe in Jesus, then you can stay in my house. And it's, it's, it's a fear, you know, it's, 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 it's a fear. It's characterized by a life that is so terrified of the world around them by people terrified by the world around them that they just don't want to even engage and that's what jeremiah was speaking into on god's behalf that choice to either go into the city of these unbelievers or the choice to stay outside of the city as exiles and so jeremiah breaks in and he says that's not god's plan you need to seek the prosperity of the city verse 7 seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which i have carried you into exile Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will, be, will prosper. See, what was amazing here that we learned in this series, that God's plan, God planned for his people to be scattered into an unbelieving world in order to prosper it. That God had a heart not just for his people, but for this unbelieving world that doesn't even believe in him. It's not that much different from us today. And so in that sense, in a good example of wife swap, it's a wife swap principle, is that when you see someone go from a whole and a wholesome family into a family of absolute brokenness, and at the end of these episodes, you see the way that the kids are interacting with one another, and there's dialogue over the dining room table for the first time in months. And the chores are getting done for the first time in months simply because of the injection of this presence of this positive person into their family. And what God says to us is the wife swap principle. He says, I want you guys for a season to move out of your normal family into a family full of brokenness and dysfunction through no fault of their own in order to be a positive presence to transform it. Are you with me? Seek the city, guys, is the first principle that we see from the life of Daniel throughout this whole book. Seek the city. The second one we see is excel at being excellent. I know that sort of doesn't make sense grammatically, but I'm just using it for dramatic effect. Excel at being excellent. Um, guys, it's come to my attention that there is a deep conspiracy um, going on in our society at the moment with a particular program called The Voice. And this conspiracy goes like this. Today, tonight has uncovered it. I know, I'm deeply troubled. But apparently, apparently God's church is deliberately training up very, very, very good singers in order to go into these programs like Australia's Got Talent and Australian Idol and The Voice in order that they can reap all sorts of profits when they win the competitions. It's a it's total conspiracy. You can see that on uh, Today Tonight. Craig Bennett, the reporter, says his talk going around that the likes of Hillsong are training some of their people for these sorts of competition. It's big money spinner, and even if they don't win, they can wind up with incredible careers that benefit the church. I'm serious. Now, this is interesting because I, I, I was thinking today, maybe it's a revelation for the Holy Spirit, but I reckon if Daniel was alive today, he'd be on The Voice. 
That's the principle that I got out of all of this. Is that he excelled at excellence. If Daniel was alive today, he'd be on the voice. Verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Um, you see, the word exception here is hard to translate, but it, it literally meant because of the excellent spirit that was in him. The word means excelling or surpassing, and it's probably got to do with something to do with leadership. Daniel excelled at being excellent. And so in that sense, Daniel diligently and purposefully used his God-given talents to serve the society around him. And guys, see, what the world needs Christian CEOs. The world needs Christian actors. And actresses. The world needs Christian singers. The world needs Christian managers. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everyone has to be a manager or a CEO or be exceptional in society's eyes. But what I want to say to you tonight is that one of the best ways that you can be an expat for God, a kingdom influencer, is by constantly carrying around you, with you, inside of you, an attitude or a spirit of excellence like Daniel. Why, Graham said this this morning. It's one of his core values as our senior pastor in this church. But why do you think we are so on about excellence in this place? Because it's part of how God uses people with their God-given gifts to influence the world around them. Carry this spirit of excellence in the very depths of all you do. You know, one of the misconceptions too is also that in God's eyes, if you're going to be exceptional in the things of God, then you have to be one of those spiritual powerhouses like a Graham Agnew. That if you, if you are going to excel and you are going to be the model Christian, then of course you'll start somewhere in the corporate world and then you'll graduate one day into ministry. <laughs> hey guys, but, but look, at, look, at Dan, look, at Daniel's, look at Daniel's example. How many times did Daniel step into these situations where he went in and interpreted a Nebuchadnezzar's dream and then he goes to Belshazzar and, and interprets the writing on the wall? Daniel had the gifts to be a full-time prophet like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the rest of the boys in the Bible. He had the same gifts that these guys had to be a minister. And yet, Daniel chose to have a secular, worldly job. And therefore, he expressed his commitment to the kingdom of God to help open and break open the justice of God in the world around him, not by being in ministry or a professional minister, but working an everyday job and being darn good at it. And so Daniel's a great example and a way to tell us that the church must never say that you've made it spiritually if you've become a minister. It's not how God works. Instead, God calls his people simply to carry an attitude of excellence in whatever they do. And so it doesn't matter if you know, you're a janitor or the world's next hotshot CEO. It's about carrying that spirit of excellence in order to serve God in this way. Look, it's the voice principle, right? If, if you're a good singer, sing your heart out. It's not a conspiracy. Just if you do, as a Christian, can you just make sure in your Grammy's speech, if you do come from this church, that you thank God and Northside Community Church for all their support? Or, you, you know, you wear a cross necklace or something like that. Or if, you know, you're walking down the hallway and there's a long shot of you, you sort of got to give God a fist pump like that. You know, that's how good voice expats work. But... But guys, here's what I, what I want to ask you tonight. Look, if I said to you tonight that, that your work or your workplace or your family or the place that you spend the most amount of time this week could be and is the very means by which God is going to break his message into the world, how would that change the way you wake up tomorrow morning? How would it change how you feel when you turn the computer on at your open plan desk? 
How would it change when you're thinking about, am I going to take that extra hour and a half for lunch or not? Because the boss is not going to see me and I really don't give a rat's what the boss thinks. It's not about what the boss thinks. It's about caring and attitude of excellence. So seek the city and then, be, then excel at being excellent. Gaining worldly influence for God's purposes. Now, I'm sure you're hearing that and going, oh, yes, Sam, but if I gain worldly influence, aren't I going to become like those non-Christians? <laughs> Glad you asked. That's why Daniel, the third thing we, the principle we learned from him throughout this whole book was that Daniel cultivated his character. Verse 4 to 5, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. If I was GA, I'd work in a reference to Craig Thompson somewhere here, but that's not the night. Um, They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for the charges against this man, Daniel, unless it's got something to do with the law of his God. And so it goes on to say that they, uh, they all agreed that the king should issue this edict, enforce a decree that anyone who prays to God or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. You hear this? They find it incredible that the only way that these guys could, could trap Daniel was to use a legal trip, uh, trap, knowing that he wouldn't jeopardize his personal integrity or his devotion to his God. Man, what sort of character is that? that? That they have to sort of rewrite the rules and the Lord's, knowing full well that all that Daniel had to do was just shut the window for 30 days. Most of us, and particularly you boys who just moved out of home, you keep the window shut for 30 days all the time. It doesn't smell too good. But, but can you see the balance that Daniel had in his life? That on one hand, Daniel assimilated into his world. He excelled at being excellent, but his character was so distinct from the world that he copped it. Now, why were these guys so hostile? What was this? You know, was it a bit of, was it a bit of racial taunt? You know, remember earlier on, the guys had to go at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they said these Jewish boys are getting up to no good. It was, there was some racism there. Was it political posturing? Did they want to get ahead of Daniel? Uh, was it just old-fashioned jealousy? You know, a fourth answer to this could be that the satraps and the administrators were hostile because they knew that their own hearts and their own lives were going to be exposed by the incredible character that Daniel had. You know, these guys were taking bribes. They were making their living off bribes. Not that much different from governments around the world today. And so, you know, as long as Daniel was just like them, right, he was a safe character because he knew that he would just be as flip-floppy and as corrupt as them. But if the incorruptible Daniel is about to become the highest official in the land, verses 1 to 3, then the official's entire way of life was under threat. This is, this, his character alone was a threat to their way of life. And so when they realized that he actually wasn't like them and he was so distinct, although he excelled at their Babylonian ways, they were going to be shown up. Here's the principle. Darkness hates the light. And don't we hear Jesus talking about that all the time? And we see it in John's gospel all the time. The darkness hates the light. Daniel's incorruptible, unbribable character was both so separate and distinct from the corruption of the systems around him, that that's what caused the hostility in the first place. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't think he just chose to be that way when the heat started to happen. Like by this point now, remember chapter 1, Daniel's just a young boy. He's almost a teenager. By now, he's 88 years old. This is what, his third king that he's in? The guy's 88. What about the hip when he got thrown into the den? I mean... But what's amazing is that, that 
that these guys could de- de- devise a decree that they knew with certainty that Daniel would not turn away or disobey the life that he had with his God. How, you, know, you, know, what, you know what that's saying to us? It's saying that Daniel had developed a character like that long before he ever got to the situation. And how do you develop a character like that? It's simple, a trellis. If you don't know what a trellis is, I'm going to tell you because uh, I now consider myself a gardening guru. Uh, I've got a lemon tree out the back and I've also got a passion fruit vine, which I'm just loving at the moment. And, um, <laughs> and so I've been tending to this passion fruit vine and for weeks the darn thing just would not grow along the line of the fence. I've had this ugly fence the whole time. It's shocking, I know, it's terrible, life's tough. And... Um, and so in order to get this thing to grow properly, I looked up uh, Wikipedia as you do if you need gardening tips. My grandma used to have books and handwritten notes. So I just look up Wikipedia. And you had to develop this thing called a trellis. And it's just basically a couple of hooks in the back of the fence and a really taut wire in which I now begin to hang my passion fruit vine over the trellis. And it now begins to follow the shape in which I've put that particular line. Are you with me? Good, good, because you can grow your own passion fruit vine once we're done. But here's the thing, the passion fruit wouldn't grow the way that it would flourish the most and produce the most fruit unless I'd given it some form of guidance. And so what it means for you tonight is how are you cultivating your character in that sense? In other words, which trellis are you attaching yourself to? Which guidelines? Which wire rope? Is it the way of the world? Or is it the way of God? And you see, Daniel, Daniel wasn't just some flimsy little you know, shoot that was popping up on, on the wall of King Darius here. He was a bustling, out-of-control, thick-rooted, passion fruit vine that had grown into the very shape of his God right from the days when he was a teenager. There was no way he was going to move in this stuff. Is your character the same tonight? If it's not, it's okay. My vine still has not grown across the fence yet. <laughs> but every day I look at it, it grows a little bit more and a little bit more. I'll line it up with my window just to make sure it is growing. But I can rest assured whenever I see that line there that it, that's the shape that it's going to continue to take. And so it is with the growth of your own character. Not it's, it's as slow and as progressive as a passion fruit vine. you just got to attach yourself to the right trellis. That's what Daniel did. Cultivate your character. Finally, we see that Daniel uh, not, not only cultivated his character... Um, but he served humanity's city for the sake of God's city. He did that through the window. I know it sounds stupid. He did it through, he opened his window. How do you serve the, the city through opening a window? Let's have a listen here. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he'd done before. Now, you have to gain some perspective on what this... and paint. Let me try and paint the picture here for you in this sense. But you've got to remember that Jerusalem had been ransacked, right? In the times of Belshazzar, as Graham was preaching his message, they went and took all the most wonderful, beautiful goblets out of the temple and they were using them as their party cups, disposable cups. Jerusalem has been ransacked. And so this scene that we've got here is almost... It's almost like the mayor of Dubai praying out the window of the 163rd floor of the Burj Khalifa Hotel and while staring to the bomb streets of Baghdad. You know, Babylon, the Tigris River and all all, all the river that you can hear Daniel talk about in his book was in modern-day Iraq. It's probably not far off that imagery that here he was. He was at the very top of the society. He was looking out the window, yearning for the bomb streets of Baghdad. And here's a question. Why would a defeated, second-rate, no-name city be the focus of Daniel's devotion? 
over the most powerful and incredible city in the world. A world, a city that he had, you know, as his oyster. He, look, his actions through the window are saying that this city and this world wasn't everything to him. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you tonight, that's why the reason he went straight to his window and prayed, is what Daniel was saying is that the real death for him was not in the lion's den, but it was in his separation from his God. Daniel understood what the real death was, and that's why he went straight up and he showed these guys that in both his prayer life and his ethical life, that worldly power and status wasn't the important things. It didn't matter that he was on the 163rd floor. It doesn't matter. And to them it was foreign and it was crazy, but it was a great declaration of the reason why he does all this good stuff. Now, it's, it's not the 163rd floor, but you know, we, we got a great little homemade PDF that came around the other week. It was called the Glebe Community News. And on the front of that newspaper, it was the, just the, the community news, a secular paper there and that sort of stuff, was a story about a bunch of volunteers who give up their Saturday, one Saturday in every month. And they're only ever deterred by a little bit of rain, it said, but it says they come in and they whippersnip and they mow grass and they talk to people and they help run a barbecue. And they're attached with this place called Northside Community Church. And I think anyone that reads that thinks, why would, why would anyone give up their Saturday to come and whippersnip? Now, I'm not here to, you know, to blow around trumpets tonight, guys. I rarely, I rarely do that. But they, the guys and the team that go and serve at Hope Street there are the perfect example of the way that we can serve humanity's city for the sake of God's city. We don't do it because we're trying to feel good about ourselves or make ourselves better. But we do it because we're praying out the window. We believe that there is a God and a holy city and a wonderful city that we're one day destined for. And we want the rest of the world to be destined for that. But if it means just serving it, whippersnippering, then that's what we'll do. We'll be ready to answer the question at any turn. Why? Why would you turn up on a Saturday morning just a whippersnipper? It was the Daniel principle. Serve humanity's city for the sake of God's city. So, that's it. Well, well, it's not really it. I could come up with a more crafted conclusion for you if you'd like. But before we go, there's, there's a really, really wrong way to read this story. Because remember, this is a story that's been on, if you're of a particular generation, every flannel graph in, uh, in Sunday school. This is a story that's been on every overhead projector, if I want to get a little bit younger. This is a story that one day will be in an iPad app or part of the Veggie Tales. Um, this is a story that we know so well. And there's a, there's a wrong way to read this. Verse 23, it says, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to, to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. Now, why I was taught it in Sunday school was just trust God. And if I just trust God and I, to use the examples tonight, seek the city and excel at excellence and be a person of integrity and serve the city for God's city, and God will rescue me from the lions. Now, that's absolutely the wrong way to read this because Daniel suffers the hostility from the world around him, not in spite of these principles, but because of these principles. It was, it was because Daniel was so deeply involved in his society and so exceptionally competent and such a man of character and integrity and so openly committed to the exclusive Lord of the Bible that he was thrown into the den. That was the very reason why he was in there. And so what it says to us tonight, guys, is that rejection of Christians by the world around us is going to be inevitable in some respects. And so there's a good litmus test for us here tonight. 
I've got to ask you, are you experiencing suffering and hostility from the world around you as a Christian? Because if you're not, it's got to mean one of two things. It's got to mean you're either playing it too nice, that is, you've assimilated. You just look like everyone else. Or you're too scared. You've separated those Christians. Ah. You're thinking, is that it? Couldn't you be a bit more positive tonight? Is that it? Come on, that's a bit of an anticlimax. And that's, that's exactly what I want you to think tonight. Because Daniel is a bit of an anticlimax for me in that sense. It's sort of like you know, that movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. You know, when, you know, when Kate has to sort of, you know, gives him up and it's all over. And, it, you know, movies are always like that. You've always got to have a part of the story where someone, you know, it's not quite the end story. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be some meeting in the airport. and There's got to be a romantic kiss. And, you know, there's got to be that tension of driving out to the airport and that sort of stuff. And, and that's exactly what the book of Daniel is, guys. Because Daniel is not the whole story. You see, years later, there would be someone just like Daniel. Someone who was attacked by high officials, people in power, who are often the most offended by the goodness and the godliness around them. You know, years later, there would be someone who, like Daniel, would be hated without a cause. Years later, there would be someone who, like Daniel, was condemned by law in a miscarriage of justice. It says in Luke 23:22, for the third time he spoke to them, this is Pilate, why? What crime has this man committed? I found, I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. You know, there was someone like Daniel who, in spite of the injustice around him, didn't protest, didn't kick up a big stink, didn't cause a ruckus. And yet years later, there'd be someone like Daniel, guys, who, who uh, when he was sealed to his death and a stone rolled over the top of him like it was with Daniel in verse 17. And there was someone like Daniel who also had enemies who thought that, that this would be the last time we'll ever see this guy again. And there was someone that when the stone over his grave was rolled away, he came forth out. You see where I'm getting at? The answer's always Jesus, isn't it? But guys, can you see where I'm going? The book of Daniel is an anticlimax because it's not the whole story. You see, the stories and the miracles of God in the Old Testament were never there just for the sake of it. The miracles of God are never there just for the sake of it. You don't see the, the, the disciples walking around going, you want me to make that mountain erupt? There we go. Awesome. That's cool. <laughs> the miracles of the Bible never worked that way, right, guys? The miracles and the stories of God always provided a glimpse of who this God was and what he was doing. And so there are two final things you need to know tonight if you're going to be an effective expat for God. First of all, it's how our God saves, and that's what he saves for. You know, firstly, quickly, and lastly, how our God saves. You know, again, that same question. Why didn't God just send an earthquake or something? Why didn't he strike the guys down before he got thrown into the den? And then in verse 19 to 22, it says, At the first light of dawn, the king comes out. He says, when he comes near to the den, he says, Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God saved you? And there's a pause. <laughs> And then he hears from on the other side of it, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. There's that darn angel again. There's <laughs> the same one from the furnace. Keeps popping up in the book of Daniel. You know, look, if, if it is Jesus, he's doing one heck of a lot of preseason training, don't you reckon? <laughs> he's been through the furnace and now he's into the lion's den. Friend, do you feel like you're in the lion's den tonight? Yeah, because what... What this story was saying, why it's an anticlimax, is saying it's because there's, there's a real Daniel. 
the real Dan, you went into the real lion's den and that was Jesus Christ. You know, and a, and a Christian is just someone who believes that the real Daniel, the ultimate Daniel, went into the lion's den for them. And therefore, the only lions that can kill you in this life, the lions of sin and of death, have already been taken care of. And so if you feel like you're in the den tonight, friend, I just want to tell you, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have confidence that your smaller and less fierce dens are going to be made bearable because this is how the God of the Bible saves. He won't necessarily save you from your circumstances, but he'll save you in your circumstances. That's how he saves. But also we see the story of Daniel also shows us what he saves us for. You know, there's a great painting. If you look it up, you'll see it on the net by Breton Riviere. You know, the picture, his depiction of Daniel in the lion's den and speaking to King Darius. And Daniel just stands there calmly with his arms behind his back. And the lions are just wandering around outside, uh, around Daniel in the den behind him. And it's just a scene of peace and serenity and total control. Guys, the imagery is everything here. The imagery of this story is everything here because it gives us a glimpse at what God is doing. You see, in the Old Testament, the destructive power of a lion was metaphorically expressed the disharmony and the discord and the falling apart of our universe. And so that image and what the biblical writer was doing here, you know, was giving us a glimpse of the hope that every Christian has, of the hope that we see written by the prophet in Isaiah where it says the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Guys, here's what we need to get tonight. There's a big picture of the whole book of Daniel is that what God saves us for is not just forgiveness of sin and to help you not feel guilty in life. But it's for this. The imagery of Daniel in the lion's den was showing us that a God who can give man a brief glimpse of total control over his creation is that God is going to rehab and restore the heavens and the earth. And things will all be put back as how it was meant to be. And that God taming the lions for Daniel was just a glimpse of the future that every one of us here tonight who calls themselves a Christian hopes in. That means, friend, if you have had something taken away from you in this life through pain or disability, or through grief, or through uncertainty, that God God is going to make that new. He's going to rehab and restore everything the way it was meant to be. The Christian future, the Christian hope is this, that the chaos of creation will be restored again. So that the lion and the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling will all sit together with a little, little child. So in that sense, guys, it was never... It was never Daniel in the lion's den, but it was the lions in Daniel's den. The whole book of Daniel has been that this incredible kingdom, this kingdom of God, has been breaking into this world, not when Jesus Christ turned up on the scene, but from the very beginning of time. And friends, this kingdom is coming. This kingdom's coming. Daniel has this vision a bit later on. In, in, in just a few uh, chapters on from this story, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and therefore before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Does it sound familiar? Matthew 28. And then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
And therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Daniel lived as an expat with one slightly less thing that you and I as believers here tonight have and that is an understanding of the presence and the reality of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. The ultimate Daniel. This kingdom's coming. And so it means for us guys that there is a God who's not hostile, but his heart breaks for an unbelieving world. He's not like that lady who yells at the people of darkness. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he scatters his people amongst it in order to prosper it. An exiled people of faith, expats, kingdom expats, if you will, who are called to proclaim in both word and action to an unbelieving world around us each and every day through lives and words that his kingdom has come, that his kingdom is coming. Make all things new, if you'll just believe.